Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me again this week is Allison Wiseman. Allison, how are you today? I'm doing well. As always, I'm good to be back. I had many people tell me they enjoyed hearing me last week. Oh, no. No one ever tells me they enjoy hearing me. Yeah, everyone is... Oh, no. Oh, no. People tell me I brought some spice and a you, little attitude. I was I, like, Ooh, I don't know what that means, but I think thank you. That that is true. I definitely feel like there was some spice. Uh, that that and, and we will have spice again this week. This week, uh, oh, we yes. we just we just wrapped up an interview with Adriel Camuel, who is running in the 93rd district in Lexington. That's a special election that's happening uh, at the same time as the gubernatorial election. Um, you know, we've talked about this race a couple times on the show. Not with you, Allison, but Jasmine and I talked about it. We talked about some of the controversies that have popped up. We talked about that. Um, we didn't shy away from that. We definitely asked her about it. We got good answers. But we also wanted to talk to her about her campaign, what she believes in. And, you know, she believes in some good stuff. You know, she talked a lot about universal pre-K, which is, of course, one of the issues I'm the most passionate about. She talked about elder care as something that's really important to the folks in her district. And she also just seems like somebody who's really dedicated to trying to, to represent her district. So so I appreciated that interview. I thought she did she did great. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed that interview. Allison, any, anything you have to say about it? Yeah, I enjoyed it. As someone who knew Lamine pretty well, um, as a, he was a former young Dem, as you were, are very well aware, he did a lot of stuff for KYD last year, speaking at our convention, for example, and I campaigned with him when I worked on Charles Booker's campaign last year. I love Lamine. It was really hard for me to have to say goodbye to him, but I'm really glad that there is someone running to take that seat who represents the values of the district and is going to work just as hard as he did once elected to the legislature. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, We we talked a little bit about that too, you know, and and Lamine's death, you know, he was a college classmate of mine. We talked to him on the show several times. Uh, Yeah. It's just really, really devastating. So uh, yeah, uh, again, yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, Good to get somebody else in there that can respect that legacy for sure. Um, All right. So on the show today, uh, Allison, you're going to talk to us about two debates that have happened. uh, And, and, (laughs) Yeah, I know. There were like zero forever. Now there have been two, and there's a bunch more that are going to happen. So we're going to talk about what happened there. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about the UAW strike, which has come to Kentucky. The Kentucky truck plant is shut down. They are on strikes. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And then if we have time, we're going to get to some quick hits. So without any further ado, Allison, tell us about these debates. Yes. So since Robert and I last spoke literally seven days ago, we've now had two debates between Attorney General Daniel Cameron and Governor Andy Bashir. The first one was the Paducah Chamber of Commerce one, because who doesn't have a debate at 12 p.m. Central Time on a Thursday? Love it. Um, right? I was like, I can't even watch at a meeting at work, so I couldn't even fo- like watch it, but I followed along because the Herald leader, shout out to Tessa and Austin for live tweeting it, so that us who weren't able to watch a midday debate could uh, follow along. So some takeaways were, I love that the governor and the attorney general shook hands. Everyone was highlighting that to kick it off. (laughs) Um, So that was nice to see. Um, So some takeaways from the article that the Herald leader wrote about it was that being down in every poll and in fundraising numbers, you know, Daniel Cameron took the first swing at Governor Bashir just 15 seconds into the forum starting, but he did it by comparing Governor Bashir to President Biden. That seemed to be the overall theme of that debate for the attorney general was any uh, chance he could tie the governor to the president. He took full advantage of it with one of his opening lines being now governor Bashir and president Joe Biden will tell you that everything is going well in this Commonwealth and in this country. But I assume that if you're here today, you don't believe that 
You've got concerns about inflation destroying your wallet, which I think inflation was going down for a while, but okay. Still is going down. Um, I think it's still going down. Um, you've got concerns about the far left trying to indoctrinate your kids. Ooh. And you've got concerns about Joe Biden's war on coal. That was all in like the first 15 seconds of this debate. So the attorney general is really loving the comparison between Governor Bashir and President Biden. Um, another takeaway was that Governor Bashir had a dad joke about bingo cards. He said, and I quote, everybody, if you had Joe Biden or the far left on your bingo card today, congratulations, you just won and got some laughs from the crowd about that. So it's nice to see the governor, you know, poking fun a little bit at the fact that he's being compared to the president of the United States over and over and over um, again. Yeah, over yeah. and over and over and over again. And then in a response to a question about bridges and roads and infrastructure, the attorney general really praised his mentor, Senator Mitch McConnell, for his work in passing the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which has brought a ton of jobs and money and projects to Kentucky. And so Governor Bashir really called him out on that and how, you know, it's really good that anything that happens in members of his party in Washington is great. Anything bad that happens that member that happens in the members of your party here or there. Bashir said that he, too, was really grateful for McConnell's work, especially, you know, with the infamous Brent, Spence, Brent Spence Bridge up in northern Kentucky that won't be told. And then, you know, Governor Bashir highlighted that the rest of the federal de delegation, besides Congressman Yarmouth and Senator McConnell, voted against it. And so I was curious how the attorney general believes that Senator Rand Paul was wrong and if the other Republican congressmen were wrong for voting against it since he's, you know, touting all of this work that's coming with the bridges and the roads. Uh, Governor Bashir then teased some more economic development coming to Western Kentucky. I don't know how much more economic development this Commonwealth can get, but here we are. It's still coming in. Um, and Governor Bashir really hit home on how much he has jobs he's created in the purchase area. And then, of course, the final takeaway was both candidates, of course, thinking that they both won. Um, Daniel Cameron mentioned in Benton uh, afterwards out in Marshall County that he won. And then, of course, Governor Bashir mentioned that he won <laughs> and that the attorney general is part of the group tearing the country apart through partisanship. So that was debate number one on Thursday. Last night, we had debate number two in northern Kentucky. As we all know, northern Kentucky was huge for Governor Bashir in 19. It's part of why he was able to win by 5,000 votes. There's also a lot of independent voters in northern Kentucky. It's also where the birth of the now state version of the Freedom Caucus has taken place. Right. So a lot's going on in northern Kentucky. Um, and so the Herald Leader wrote another article with some takeaways from it. Of course, there was Biden-Bashir comparisons, but not as much as Paducah. In his opening statement, Governor Bashir jokingly set the over-under, you know, a betting metrics to see how many times Daniel Cameron would mention Biden. The over-under was 16 and a half. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny. Abortion came up again, where the attorney general called himself the pro-life candidate and Governor Bashir the abortion candidate. And actually, when Governor Bashir addressed the attorney general's stance on defending the law, the trigger law, and uh, um, forcing a 12-year-old girl or any young girl to give birth to a child that was from her stepfather, that when he raped her or anybody who had raped her, the, the attorney general kind of laughed at it, a little smirky laugh. Um, the KDP pointed that out. It was kind of gross to watch um school choice got brought up which hasn't really been brought up yet in this campaign i mean the tax on public ed has been brought up but not really school choice uh the attorney general said that governor Bashir hates private schools i do not believe he has ever been on record saying that um but he said that 
And as well as, of course, that Kentucky students were being indoctrinated in classrooms, whatever that means. And then the final takeaway was that uh, in both debates, really, but last night, especially the attorney general was really trying to frame Governor Bashir as this crazy person. Um, I don't know if you think Governor Bashir is crazy, what you think Trump and the far right or far left people are. Um, I think Governor Bashir is a pretty normal guy myself, but I don't know. And he said, I think it's crazy to have a governor here in Kentucky who openly endorses Joe Biden. I think it's crazy to have the governor who fails to protect women's sports from biological males. I think it's crazy to have this governor shut down our small businesses, our churches and our schools. And I think the majority of Kentuckians think that the person should not be this person should not be leading our state. And that's why I'm running so hard to replace him, the attorney general said. So after hearing all of this, Robert. What, if anything, have you learned from these debates that have yeah. taken place in the past seven days? Yeah, you know, I don't think anybody ever really learns anything from debates. Like, I just think 100%. you kind of survive them. But uh, I will say, I do think that this kind of points out the increasing desperation of Daniel Cameron. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I still think he has a shot to win. I still think he has a pretty good chance to win. Uh, but it is going to be entirely on the fact that... Kentucky is just a very conservative state, and Andy Bashir has no reason to be doing as well as he is doing. Daniel Cameron is just, just, just saying. I mean, whatever he can think of. I mean, just uh, saying Andy Bashir is crazy just is not something that passes any level of sniff test. Like, I can't imagine even right. the most conservative person I know thinking. Andy Bashir is crazy. Like they may be like, he's out of step with what I believe, but just like he's a normal looking white guy in his forties. Like it doesn't get any more normal than Andy Bashir. And just he plays the, with his dog every day. Yeah. Has, has two kids. What kid that plays baseball? Like, you know, and he's got a son right. and a daughter and like a, you know, you know, absolutely. Like he's just a normal looking dude. Um, and then, and then just, like, trying as hard as he can. Like, the one thing is, like, Kentucky does not like, does not have a high approval rating for Joe Biden. So just saying right. Joe Biden as many times as possible. And, you know, we were lucky that, that Andy Bashir was able to kind of shut that down by, like, putting an over-under number on how many times Dana Cameron was going to say Joe Biden. So I, I don't know if that's going to happen again in the future debates. But I cer- certainly hope. I hope he comes out to the next one and be like, well, he kept it to six this time. So we're going to lower the over-under to ten or something like like that like you know we'll we'll see what happens there but but yeah you know i don't know if we really we learn much but we i I do think it kind of points to the state of the race which is that i do think that all signs point to to andy bashir doing well but of course nothing is ever guaranteed uh and i think that the campaign knows that i think we all know that and, and everybody that that cares is working working really hard yeah you kind of touched on you know debates really don't you know, you don't think they sway one way or another, but, you know, the Chamber of Commerce one, you know, Chamber of Commerce, people are stereotypically, you know, Republican leaning, some soft Republican, you know, leaning. And so do you think, especially the Chamber one, and also with Northern Kentucky, yeah. given how much of a, you know, purple-ish, depending on where you are, area, and is definitely a region both campaigns have been really focusing on. Do you think if in, if any voters might have been swayed one way or the other, or you know, do you think everyone went with their mind made up? You have a really good point that both of these debates were kind of taking place in in ways in which uh, that 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 like were place ways in like I guess places in which this vote 
could be decided, right? With the yeah. Chamber of Commerce type Republicans who really don't have a, a home in, in Donald Trump's Republican Party, you know, that, right. that uh, but, you know, obviously don't feel super at home and, and, you know, the Democratic Party either. So they're just trying to figure out who to vote for. Um, and, and yeah, I do. So I do think that there are some folks there that are trying to figure it out. Uh, and then Northern Kentucky, you know, it, this was at NKU, which, you know, that's in Campbell County and Campbell County, especially the, the way that Northern, the politics in Northern Kentucky are just super interesting in way, the way in which like Campbell and Kenton are separate from Boone and then, you know, the river yep. communities in the cities uh, and, and how they differ from like the farming communities that are south of them. And, and you know, there's very, if you are able to draw the map of the House of Representatives, you can definitely draw it in a way that no democrat will ever win another seat in northern kentucky or at least in the mm-hmm. near future which is what we have but it is a very democratic area in specific ways so yeah. um you know it will be interesting to see how andy Bashir is able to kind of consolidate things up in northern kentucky is he going to be able to kind of expand or deepen his wins in places like covington in places like Newport, uh, in places like Dayton and Bellevue, um, how is he going to do in Boone County? Is he going to be able to staunch the Democratic bleeding in those places, which were kind of the birthplace of the Freedom Caucus, not the Freedom Caucus, the yep. Liberty Caucus or whatever they call it here Liberty, in Kentucky? Whatever they yeah, call whatever them, it so. is. Um, so yeah, that, I do think these two specific debates, being the Western Kentucky Chamber of Commerce and being in Northern Kentucky, uh, those are kind of areas that do have some the the, the swing voters that are left. Uh, that is where yeah, that is right. where they are. Yeah, yeah, that that's yeah. A really and I, I definitely think, like I said, it was really telling that Governor Bashir really hit on all the economic development going on out yeah. there because, as everyone knows, Bashir is a pretty Western Kentucky name. And mm-hmm. he's from, you know, his dad's out there. Dawson Springs. He did a lot right. in the area. Yeah, Dawson Springs represent. He did a lot of work out there after the tornado mm-hmm. and was been really present out there. So I think it was very telling the way he really framed his answers yeah. in the debate up there and really highlighting the economic development yeah. in and, that area. And, and what are his goals out there? Like his goals out there are probably not to win McCracken County, but to lose it right. by one or two percent, you know, which is possible. Right. With, and I think Paducah is going to. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know that the campaign really did think they had a chance in McCracken County. It is just like they did really well in Paducah and the rest of McCracken yep. County is just it, – it, and that's just kind of how it is out there. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'll see what these debates do. We just got a few more yeah. weeks left before the campaign is finished. So, uh, yeah. Days. Yeah. All right, Allison, let's talk a little bit about the UAW strike coming to Kentucky. I'm all, I'm all ready for all it. All right. So the UAW, what they're calling the stand-up strike, it had mostly avoided Kentucky until last week. When UAW President Sean Fain called for the Kentucky truck plant to strike, and that happened on Thursday. So the Kentucky truck plant is, I think it is the most profitable plant operated I by think Ford. It is too. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. Those trucks are so super profitable. Um, they make right. the. And actually, I think Sean tweeted today, Sean Fain, that per minute, that plant makes $48,000. Yeah, they. Like they, per minute. Yeah. Yeah, and the starting salary is like $37,000. Yeah. For an employee there, it's nuts. Yeah, it, the, the the plant generates twenty five billion dollars a year. That's a lot of money. Crazy. Um, yeah, they they make the Super Duty pickups, the Lincoln Navigators, and Ford Expeditions, none of which are cheap cars. Um, so there nope. you go. Um, we yeah, the eighty seven hundred people or sorry, 8,700 workers that work at the plant are on strike. Not everybody is in the local. Not everybody is striking. um, But those are the people who work at the plant that are 
striking. Um, and I do think there was some news today that the, a lot of the rest of the people that work there are going to get laid off because of the strike. You know, hopefully they'll be yes. brought back once it's over. Uh, it is just kind of how these things how these things go. I will say that the strike starting here in Kentucky, uh, it, it wasn't an orderly process. Uh, typically, you know, there's deadlines, and as the deadlines are approaching, everybody in the plant's like, okay, well, if the deadline passes, we got to get ready. We got to get all of our strike captains up, and uh, everybody knows what they're doing, how to set up the picket lines and everything, and, and that's usually how it goes, but that is not what happened. It came as a surprise to everybody except maybe Sean Fain. Uh, according to the UAW and from Sean Fain, uh, Ford came to the union with an offer that wasn't different from the offer that the union received two weeks ago, uh, despite Ford saying there was more money to be had. Again, this is the union saying this. Uh, Fain then said that, uh, quote, our members' lives and my handshake are worth more than that. You just cost yourselves Kentucky truck plant, unquote. So, what? yeah, that it's I you know pretty baller like pretty pretty a uh, pretty big power play uh, to to do there to just like drop it and say this is over for you, um, but I do think it did catch Kentucky workers off guard. Uh, yeah. According to the Courier Journal, the union was was surprised they didn't have really have time to prepare. Strike captains weren't ready; they were kind of all over the place. And in the few first few hours of the strike, it was just kind of chaos by all accounts. So the reason why they did this, according to, to Sean Fain, was that uh, he had to act in an unexpected way in order to, uh, you know, let the automakers know that the rules of the game weren't going to be predictable. He said that, like, new, you know, they would just kind of wait until the 11th hour right before the strike expanded, then come with a, an offer that was maybe a little bit better. And, and by just acting unpredictably, he can keep the, the automakers from, you know, you got to give me your best offer right as soon as you get it. Um, and he thinks that's going to improve his chances at, at, at getting the best offer from, from the automakers. Um, you know, it's a strategy. Uh, it, it, there's, there's pluses and minuses to it. Uh, and it's the way that he's decided to operate. Um, and, you know, he seems like he's a pretty popular guy right now. So uh, more power to him. Uh, right. Uh, for the company, uh, on Monday, Bill Ford, who is the executive chair of the Ford Motor Company and, you know, a relative of, of Henry Ford, who founded the company, etc., he spoke about the strike. He said that Ford was, quote, the only automaker to add UAW jobs over the last 15 years, unquote. And then he also said, quote, we will succeed or fail together, unquote. Um, in his kind of talk, he tried to kind of pivot the union away from fighting its union employers and, like, help them you know, help uh, try to redirect the the union towards the non-union uh, manufacturers in Kentucky or in in the United States, of which there are lots, including domestic automakers like Tesla, who are newer to the game, and you know some foreign foreign automakers, including some in Kentucky like Toyota, who are non-union. Um, and, and so that's kind of what he's trying to do. Um, you know, but that isn't where their ability to to make change lies, and so they are being struck. Uh, Ford tried to paint himself as pro union and Ford as a family company. What's that worth? Uh, you you know, uh, Sean Fain always wears a shirt that says "Eat the Rich." Bill Ford is very rich, uh, so there you go. Um, at the start of the strike, Ford apparently had one of the stronger offers. Uh, the strike didn't hit Ford as hard at the beginning for that reason in particular. However, as time has gone forward, Ford's offer did not improve enough to prevent Fane and the UAW from expanding the strike. So that's kind of how we ended up in this place. Their initial contract offer was for a 23% wage increase, which, you know, that that's a lot. 
not what they were asking for. I think they asked for like a 40% increase. So, you know, that wasn't quite what they had asked for. However, there are a lot of other items inside the deal that are at issue. And a lot of the speculation about this strike has been about battery and EV plants that are going to be built in the near future. So the future of the automotive industry, uh, if we are to survive as a species is electric vehicles. Um, you know, battery workers and the plants that are going to manufacture EVs for the big three are, are not under the master agreement. That is what the UAW uses to negotiate with the, the automakers. So, you know, that those workers are not currently covered under that. And a big push in these negotiations is to get those workers under the agreement, which I mean, to me makes perfect sense because you have to assume that the internal combustion piece of the portfolio for every automaker in the world is just going to decline until it goes away and what will be left is the electric division and and that is what you know that is this that is the future of the industry and getting those workers under the umbrella has to be just a really key piece of what the union wants to do a big piece of ford's future battery plants are located here in kentucky so i think you know Getting these folks under the master agreement would be a really big boon for Kentucky because that would mean more union jobs. Now, Bill Ford, the governor, a lot of people have said these will be union jobs. Sean Fain, uh, you know, for good reason, doesn't necessarily trust everything that comes out of the, the company's mouth uh, and wants to, to get it in writing, which uh, is what they always tell me to do uh, whenever I'm working is get it in writing. So uh, I, get in I, writing. I understand that. I understand where he's coming from. I understand the right. strategy, and, and I think it's I think it's a good one. So that's kind of where we're at with the strike. But, of course, politicians uh, across the world or across the state had a lot to say about it. Uh, Andy Bashir, quote, the UAW represents thousands of our hardworking families and Ford is an important employer in Kentucky. We need both a strong UAW and Ford. My hope is that they can reach an agreement quickly, one that works for both sides and moves everyone forward, unquote. So that's pretty, pretty moderate stance. He's a pretty moderate governor. He's running in the state that, uh, you know, did, uh, you know, I, I do, th- I do feel like we have a lot of labor, um, roots, um, but, you know, uh, and, and I do know that labor supports Andy Bashir really strongly, but, uh, you know, it wasn't a eat the rich <laughs> statement right. by any stretch I mean, of the imagination. Robert, don't you know Andy Bashir's far left? Yeah, that's crazy. true. Exactly. Oh. This isn't exactly the crazy it. statement that Daniel Cameron thinks it is. Crazy! Yeah, yeah it's not as crazy as he probably would, would have wanted to <laughs> pose it as. Absolutely. All right, so here's what Daniel Cameron had to say. Quote, not even the member of the United Auto Workers can withstand the effects of Bidenomics. I hope the UAW and Ford can reach a swift resolution. Bidenomics is responsible for driving up costs, which drives down household income in Kentucky. Instead of ending Bidenomics, Andy Bashir pledged his support for four more years of it yesterday. Andy Bashir thinks our economy is doing just fine. Kentuckians know nothing could be further from the truth. Unquote. So that is three. <laughs> Three mentions of Bidenomics in Daniel Cameron's. I mean, it is just, it's just insane. It's like it, nuts. <laughs> he's obsessed. Well, uh, we should start a drinking game every time. Bashir, Bidenomics, President Biden, Governor Bashir. Yeah, drink. It, it is. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to play that game. I would not be able to take care of my child. I'm a little worried about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's so crazy. It, it just, how he, like, it just, it's so predictable, right? It is just kind of the only right? thing he knows to do is to try to tie Andy Bashir to Joe Biden. It's like a robot, Bidenomics, Bidenomics, yeah, Bidenomics. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it, that was not great, I don't think. So, whoever wrote that, you oh. know, D, F minus for you. Um, all right, uh, that was Andy Bashir and Daniel Cameron. 
Um, the other one I wanted to, to, to mention was Morgan McGarvey, of course, the member of Congress Shout here out. in uh, Louisville. Um, quote, I stand with our UAW brothers and sisters on strike. Local 862 is responsible for 54% of Ford's North American profits, and their workers deserve a fair contract, good benefits and wages, and safe working conditions. Louisville is a union town, and it's going to stay that way, unquote. So continuing the tradition of being a strong liberal, a strong union supporter, that statement goes further than Andy Bashir's. Um, as you know, I think everyone kind of expected it to. I do think that is the role that that Morgan McGarvey is yep. playing, and I'm glad that he's playing it. It's it's closer yeah. to where I'm at, um, and I'm glad that he's he's standing up in in that way. So um, good yeah, for him. I think uh, I think Craig Greenberg, the mayor, took a more towards the side of Governor Bashir's stance. Uh, yes, than definitely Morgan dance for sure yeah and and you know that does kind of uh that does kind of fit their uh, electorates because morgan mcgarvey does not have as much of jefferson county uh morgan uh, you know the mayor has all of jefferson county uh including the more conservative parts that morgan mcgarvey doesn't have and governor pure has the whole state but um yeah i i you know i did i i didn't write down the mayors i should have and his his was more more moderate than i would have expected or hoped um but you know um that he probably comes by that honest as a businessman himself um, yeah, I oh, did. Sure. Yeah, I did see that most Democratic legislators from Louisville uh, were there on the picket line. Yep. Um, I think I saw Josie Raymond there first, but everybody was there uh, pretty quickly thereafter. Um, Morgan McGarvey came into town Better. to support the strikes, you know, so that's uh, that's good. And I yeah. will say Morgan went straight off the airplane. Yeah, he was there in his suit and tie and everything. Holding up the sign. Pouring down rain outside, and he went straight to the hall to yeah. stand with the workers, and I thought that was awesome. Yeah, he he is he's smart for doing that, and I'm glad he's standing up for for those workers there. Yeah. All right, so last thing I have to say about this is that you know it, you know those of us who are just kind of watching the strike, especially from like a progressive standpoint, we're like, yeah, this is so awesome that we're, workers are standing up for themselves, etc. Um, but we need to remember that strikes are are just really hard. On, on workers yeah. um, striking workers are making $500 a week in strike funds that's not a lot of money especially compared to the money that they're making when the, the plants are going um, you know I, I think everybody hopes for a resolution but I do think that everybody wants a good resolution so I I, I just you know I, my heart goes out to everybody I, I wish that I wish that the companies were more fair I wish the companies were more equitable I you know I wish it yes. wasn't like pulling teeth to to get workers ahead in this country but this is the way it is I'm really proud uh, of the community I'm, I'm really impressed with the community for, for standing up in this way um, I, I'm hoping for the best for them um, and, and I certainly hope that that you know they are able to come through this um, um, you know well uh, but in the meantime you know we're, we're thinking about them as they are just having to deal with the fact that they're getting $500 a week so um, our, our thoughts go out to them for sure um, yeah, Allison for sure. anything uh, about the strike that I missed or that you thought was important I do want to mention that the Young Dems will be joining the picket line. There you go. Uh, tomorrow night. So tomorrow being Wednesday, um, October 18th at 6 p.m. Uh, we'll have members so from Louisville Young Dems, Fayette County Young Dems, and Franklin County Young Dems are coming to stand in solidarity with our fellow union brothers and sisters at UAW. Um, Congressman McGarvey's team will be joining us as well as, uh, I believe, members from Councilman Ben Reno Weber's team. And the uh, um, invite's been sent out to a lot more people. Um, so we'll see who all shows up. But we will be there tomorrow evening bringing supplies, 
snacks. Um, if anybody wants to go and stand with them, by all means, please do. Yeah. You know, they're from as of today, what I heard from the hall is that they're in need of, you know, Gatorade, sodas. They've got plenty of water, stuff they can grill or put in a crock pot. So, you know, chicken, burgers, hot dogs, stuff along those lines and some chips, uh, granola bars. But they really don't need water because a lot of people have brought water. <laughs> All right. So yes. keep that in mind. Young Dems will be bringing supplies tomorrow. So we're super excited about it. And I'm looking forward to being on the line with the hard workers at Ford. Nice. All right. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for that. I, I do think that would be a great yeah. way for people to connect. All right, let's yeah, before sure. before we get out of here, let's do a few quick hits. So you wrote this one, but I'll read it. Uh, the the speaker. Okay. <laughs> you can read it. You want to read it? Go ahead. No, I don't you want you to get it. spicy. You no, you. No, yeah. Oh, you be spicy. Okay, I'll be spicy. Okay. So, Speaker of the House chaos round. I think now seventeen of total votes this year for Speaker took place today. Um, all the Democrats were united behind Hakeem Jeffries. I almost texted Morgan today and was like, what if you just nominated yourself? Was- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it, but I was like, what if Morgan's like the great unifier? <laughs> um, they are not crossing party lines. Uh, they all voted for Hakeem Jeffries. They were all present today. Um, over the end of the weekend... Over the weekend and end of last week, Republicans were, like, torn between Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan, both people who denied the election. Both are crazy. Those are actual crazy people, not Andy Bashir. Um, then Steve Scalise dropped out, and then it became Jim Jordan from Ohio, whose district literally looks like a duck. And then <laughs> today was the vote. They voted. Um, I don't even think Jim had the amount of votes that Kevin McCarthy had. Yeah, he was one fewer. Um, yeah. Yeah, he got 200 yeah, it, votes. So that just goes to show how not united that party is. And so instead of voting, again, the House went in recess. Yeah. So we are on day uh, like 405 now, it feels like, with no House speaker. Um, the president is supposed to be going to Israel, but before this started, I got an alert saying the meeting was canceled. Yeah, as he was getting to go, so I don't know if he is still going over there. But yeah, that we—I don't know—is he? That's kind of out of our our purview. But you know, there was a terrible attack in in uh, Gaza at a hospital right, where five hundred right, people yeah, died, sure. and it's up in the air yeah. what's gone on there. So I mean, what's I think they might have put stuff on pause there. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. But you know, that was a big thing. But that goes and tie in the fact that we don't have a House Speaker, so. Can't yeah. do any aid bill. Can't do any bills. The government's going to shut down in like 30 days now. Yeah. Um, can't even get a speaker. So who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, so it's the continued chaos that we talked about last week. It is. It's it's level. it's crazy up there. Uh, the local angle, besides Allison coming forward with the McGarvey plan, is uh, Thomas Massey did get a vote for speaker. Did he nominate himself? No. No. You don't need to be nominated. You can just vote for whoever you want oh, to. Oh, vote. Uh, he didn't vote for himself. For Somebody else voted for him. So, Do you know, know uh, some I, talk to that I don't know. I don't was know it who it was. Robert, it was you. You called in and said, Morgan, if I had a vote, I would vote for Thomas. Massey. If I have if I have any vote where Thomas Massey is on the ballot, I am not going to vote for Thomas Massey. Um, yeah. So it is a big fat mess uh, out there in Washington, <laughs> D.C. for big sure. Fat. Um, okay, a couple more quick hits. Uh, Louisville has decided to sue Kia and Hyundai over uh, how easy their cars are to steal. 
Um, I do know some people that have been victims of the Kia boys, really? uh, as they are called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not fun to get your car stolen. Um, you know, I, I do think making cars that easy to steal is the main reason why uh, we are seeing such a large... The only real crime that's been increasing recently is carjackings. As why are with, they easy to steal? Uh, man, are you not on, are you not on TikTok, Allison? There's like a whole the the Kia boys. You can I do mean, it with a you can do it with like a USB cable. Uh, it, it it is literally all you need to. St- yeah. Oh man, I'm surprised you don't know about this. I'm shocked that I know about this. Name, and you don't. My TikTok is like Glee. Um, oh God. Hamilton. That's even more embarrassing than <laughs> the Kia boys coming up. No, there. This was. It, it definitely went viral. It's really bad. But literally to steal it, to steal a Kia or a Hyundai, all you need is like a. I don't exactly know what it is, but it's like just a USB cable. It's super simple. Um, and, and, and the reason why these crimes are increasing is just because of how easy it is to do. Um, so I do think, you know, the, the ease of stealing these cars, um, has caused a lot of increase in, you know, uh, stuff that the police department has to do. It's expensive for the city to have to deal with it. And, and yeah, like that, I I do think it's fair for some of these, these car manufacturers to, to, to pay for some of this because of how expensive it's been. Um, so yeah, that was, that's one thing. Um, uh, I have not dug into the most recent fundraising data, but it has come in. I think it's like the 30 day prior report. Andy yeah. Bashir is, you mentioned it has just an overwhelming fundraising advantage over mm-hmm. Daniel Cameron and really also over the, the packs that are supporting Daniel Cameron. Um, Andy Bashir versus Daniel Cameron, Andy Bashir tripled, um, what Daniel Cameron was at to, about to, uh, able to bring in just about it's one and a half million to 530,000. Um, you have these next two, so tell us what we need to know about the, them. Yes, yeah, so yesterday, another abortion ad dropped. This one came from Defending Bluegrass Values Pack. It The ad featured a couple from Stanton, Kentucky, which I totally meant to look up what county that is from. I want to say it's Eastern Kentucky, but I could be wrong. But um, this couple's baby was going to be born without a brain, and due to current laws, specifically the trigger law, could not seek an abortion here in Kentucky. And so the family talks about what that experience was like and how the attorney general, you know, supports the law that allowed them to not get an abortion here to save the mother's life and to, you know, essentially, you know, have to deal with the situation of a baby without a brain yeah. being born. So it was yeah. really powerful ad. Um, this is now the third abortion related ad that has been affiliated with a PAC or the governor's campaign. You had the judge in Louisville, Hadley, and then now this one. So yeah. it's a pretty hot topic. Yeah, that's this, still going on. This this ad Stanton is is in the Lexington, Greater Lexington area, and and I I've actually met this couple. Oh, uh, they yeah, that's okay. Uh, they, this they're more east than west. Um, but yeah, th- this couple the the situation that they found themselves in is almost exactly the same situation that my wife and I found ourselves in. Um, so you know it's uh you know what that's like. It's absolutely the worst thing you can imagine. And yeah, I mean. I, I, we were lucky to have to go through it when Roe v. Wade was still in effect. It's just making it even more worse now. Um, so just, yeah, and these are real Kentuckians. Like yeah. you're doing your wife, this couple, many Kentuckians are facing this reality, and I'm really glad. As unfortunate as these stories are, in situations like this, you have to make people feel uncomfortable and hear these stories to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And people don't want to talk about it. People don't want to hear it. But you have to. Mm-hmm to understand the reality of what these couples are facing mm. with this trigger and the honestly the loss of Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. So had our third ad with that. 
And then the final quick hit, the final pack ad that came out, um, I believe, yesterday as well, maybe this morning, from American Principles Project. It's a conservative ad, a conservative pack that falsely accused Governor Bashir and other Democrats of wanting to remove trans kids from their homes by, like, the FBI if their family question, like questions their gender identity. So, like, if my parents were to question my gender identity because of that, they could be, like, removed from their home by the FBI. <laughs> um, yeah. That's crazy. But Governor Bashir does not support that. No Democrat supports that. Nobody I supports really- that. Like, it's... <laughs> That, like, this 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 ad this ad is uh, uh part of the uh, I I did not watch it. I I read the description not in much, the newspaper, but. but it is uh it is just another piece of this increasing desperation thing, um in where desperate. like yeah. it is I mean it's like a Turner Diaries like far right. right crazy dream sequence or something. All right, yeah, and I want to shout out our reporters for yeah. calling it false and yeah. very letting readers know this article. This ad, everything is false. (laughs) Well, uh, that's our segments. That's our quick hits. Uh, Allison, thank you very much for being with us today. Always. All right. Always a blast. Let's get to our interview with Adriel Camuel. Adriel Camuel is the Democratic nominee for for the state representative in the 93rd District Special Election this fall. Originally from Rowan County, Ms. Camuel has made her life in Lexington, where for the last 13 years she's been an administrative assistant for Fayette County Public Schools. This is her first run for public office. Adriel Camuel, welcome to My Old Kentucky Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And this is just, I've only done a handful of these, so hopefully I don't trip myself up or stumble or accidentally like log off. So I'm keeping my hands away from the keyboard. You're going to do great. Thanks. <laughs> so uh, this seat is open due to the tragic death of former Rep- Representative Lamine Swan. So talk to us a bit about Lamine and what he meant to the people of the 93rd District. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, Lamine is one of the very few, like true, Lex- was one of the very few true Lexingtonians um, because he was born here, raised here, went to school here, like most people, it seems most people in Lexington are implants. So he is one who really knew the district because he grew up here. He attended, he attended the same schools my kids did, Tate's Creek High School, everything on the, I'm not sure if he went to Tate's Creek Elementary though, to be honest, but I know he was definitely on the Tate's Creek campus because we've done redistricting and I can't remember where this area was districted for initially, like within the last 20 years. But, um, but, uh, you know, he's, um, I think it's, I think it's very, I'm stating the obvious. Lamine knew the district probably better than anybody because he grew up here. Um, He knew who the people were. He knew what their needs are, you know, and the night, the 93rd um, spans this very broad socio, it's very diverse socioeconomically. Um, But when you go to Tate's Creek High School, you get to see like, you know, all, all levels of, um, you know, of your neighborhood, of your district. Even Well, Sam, I talk about the 93rd, but also I forget it's about two thirds of the 88th, <laughs> maybe about a third of, of two thirds of what used to be the 88th, um, maybe a third of what used to be all of the seven, like part of the 79th and it's part of the 45th. So 
we've shifted a little bit, but, but all in all, even with the shifting of the districts, I mean, this really is an area that Lamine knew. Um, I think he also had a really good finger on the pulse of, he was so well-respected um, and well-known, but also because of his role as a social worker for Fayette County, um, the court system for family court. Um, and I think, I, I do think he, understood some of the most marginalized people in our district um, for a multitude of reasons from living here, growing up here, working here, going to school here because he attended school at UK. And then, like I said, working in the court district. Um, so he was well-respected, very well supported by the district. Um, he, rep he understood and represented the values of the people of the district Um because even even like even though the district has changed, the the people who make up the district like it's still the same value like it's still the same values. The people on the south side of Lexington, we all, for the most part, for the majority, like we share a lot of the same views. Um, so, but I also think that I was thinking about this today. Like he was one of the people who, like, we come across amazing people in our lives who are fill this pull to serve. And I think that's who he was, like uh, genuinely. And and I say this like full transparency here. I, I only had the opportunity to meet him a couple of times. We were at a couple of fundraisers together shortly before he fell ill. Um, and so I had limited interaction with him. But when he was running and I was knocking doors for different people, when I was in the like when I'd hit the 93rd, I made sure that they knew that that uh, Lamine was the, the Democrat running for his election, even if I didn't have his lit. Um, so um, but one of the th interesting things that I did learn about him is I think we, part of his drive and his his need to serve and to, to work for the public. Um, so when he was very young, and I don't know exactly what age, but I know his grandfather took him to his first rally or demonstration um, in Frankfurt. And it was at the time when there was, we were, were not we, I, was, I wasn't part of it. I, um, but we Democrats were, and others were really working to make, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a holiday in the state of Kentucky. And so I was like, oh, wow. Like he got like the crash course in what you do to make sure voices are heard, to make sure that people are respected. And so anyway, I just thought that was really neat that his grandfather was like, this is important and you need to yeah. come with me and we need to do this together. Yeah. He, he so, told so that's you go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah. He, he, he told us that that story on the show and, and yeah, you know, I, I know that his death affected so many people and, uh, I mean, for 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 me personally, just as somebody who knew him both from when I was in school, uh, and then you know when he served, and when we talked to him throughout the the, the process, uh, you know, the last election cycle. So yeah. you know, um, nobody wants to be in this situation. Nobody wants to have be having yeah. a special election right now. But but that is the situation we find ourselves in. Right. Uh, and, and you know, we are doing a special election, and the process for a special election, of course, is of course so much different than it is for a general it's election. <laughs> yes, it's special. That's absolutely right. So you know, uh, this process, you know, is is very much different. But uh, you know, you, still, people have to decide to run, and that's something you did. So talk us through your decision making process. Why did you decide to jump in? What was it that you made you decide that you were the right person for this job? And, yeah. and, and what's your perspective about how that selection process kind of went? All right, so I'll take the first part first. What made me run? 
Um, and I have to say, like, I have followed you on Twitter, whatever Twitter is now, because it's still Twitter to me. <laughs> right. I cannot call it anything else. Um, but I have followed you for years um, on on Twitter with my personal account. Um, and um, but I've been since 20. I really started in 2017, but I have been really deeply immersed in Kentucky politics since 2018. It really like my my. Um, my real involvement started 2017, um, and that was when um, the General Assembly in January very, very quickly passed two bills. <laughs> the first one was right to work, and the second one was prevailing wage. Um, those were huge red flags, and then we started hearing all about all the things they were getting ready to do for educate to not for to education. Um, you know, so I work in public education and, you know, my husband just started his 27th year teaching um, fifth grade. My sister-in-law's in her 26th year speak, uh, teaching preschool in Round County. Um, my brother-in-law uh, is, I think he's in his, I think he's in his 27th year now, 28th year, maybe, um, teaching high school social studies and history. So, and my mother taught, my sister taught in Texas, like education runs deep. So everything that was happening, was happening at lightning speed um, and got very real and very scary very quickly. Um, so I kind of jumped in, um, in 20, late 2017, early 2018 and kind of haven't stopped. But so I, you know, I've worked, volunteered on campaigns and whenever I try to list them, I always forget someone's camp, like campaigns, but let's just say I've worked on campaigns from um, uh, uh, Montgomery County to Shelby County to Bullock County to Fayette County and everywhere in between. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, and of course I have two degrees in political science my undergraduate and graduate degrees um, are political science. Um, but I'm also this weird person, um, a little nerdy, and I bet both of you can relate to this. I like to read policy. Um, and so I was the person, now that we don't have any transparency coming out of Frankfurt because we don't get to see pre-filed bills, um, but I used to go th comb through the pre-filed bills to see, um, I, I kind of had a, a, a rubric that I would use, like, how does it impact education? How does it impact the taxpayers? How does it impact healthcare? How does it impact reproductive rights? Because we knew like yucky stuff was happening all around the country. And it was just going to take time for it to hit us. And, you know, so anyway, so I was that person who would then track all those bills as they made their way through um, if they, if they were called up into committee made it through. So anyway, um, so one of the other thing, one of the other things that kind of, aside from being really involved in campaigns and asking other people to run, that's that is one thing. I when the governor announced the date of the special election, I can say that my phone blew up in a probably a similar manner that I have blown up other people's phones, asking them to run when um, when a seat came open in whatever level of government uh, was available. So. Uh, my phone was blowing up and I was respectfully saying, I really appreciate it. It makes me feel really good, but I'm not interested in running, but I'll help anybody else run. And then it kind of continued. And then one of my really good friends texted me and she was like, girl, you got to run. And I was like, <sighs> and I was like, she's right. Because it'd be super hypocritical for me to pressure others to run and then me not have me not do it. Like, you know, so, so that played a role in it. 
following bills played a role in it, all the attacks on education, on our workforce, on health care, like all the things. Um, but then growing up, so I have got three sisters. Um, growing up, people are probably tired of hearing me tell the story, but I love my dad and he has dementia. And so it's it's always good to talk about like all of his sage words of wisdom. But one of the things he told us growing up is we never know when we pass somebody on the street or meet someone, we have no idea what's going on in their lives or how hard their life is. And we should make it our mission every day to do something nice or good to help someone else to improve their lives or make their day better. So all of these things kind of play played into my head. And I thought if ever there was a time to do it, my kids were out of the house. Like my son had just graduated college. My daughter's, a, she just started her sophomore year in college. And I was like, I think now's the time. And so I thought, okay, I'll throw my hat in the ring and we'll see what happens, you know? Um, so that's kind of what it is. Like I'm a lifelong Kentuckian. I'm committed to, to my, to my people. Like, you know, I've been in Lexington for 26 years, I think since 1997, However many years that makes me, I think it's 26. A lot. Um, yeah. Huh? Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's a long, a long time. Uh, you know, that's, it is, it's, yeah. it's a long, yeah. And, you know, in, in, in my district, I'll say this too, cause I know I get very rambly. Um, but you know, the, because I've knocked doors for so long in the, what is now the 93rd, but I also knocked on the 45th and I've knocked for, uh, Paula Setzer Kissick and, uh, Chuck. Anyway, um, the values are, the, it's the same, like, at the doors, I had the same conversations over and over with people. Access to quality, high quality public education, access to health care, including abortion. Um, and it is a it is a the number one issue. Access to abortion right now in the 93rd is the number one issue um, among voters, at, at least as I have talked to them as my team. We've, we've knocked almost 10, 000, over 10,000 doors at this point. Um, it's what we hear over and over. Number one, abortion. Number two, education. Um uh, um, healthcare. We need a, a higher minimum wage in Kentucky, and but it's trying to find the balance between businesses and a livable wage because seven twenty-five an hour not livable. Um, and um, and then making sure this is the one that I have learned and had so many conversations with people at the doors. It, it is about elder care and making sure that all Kentuckians age with dignity. Um, one of the largest segments of our population, it's a combination of the silent generation and baby boomers. Mm -hmm. And we do not have enough facilities, beds, social workers, skilled nursing nurses, like the care just isn't there to meet basic needs. And I swear, I think we're headed for a crisis because oh. like. Oh, and, and in many ways, we're already there. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, so, and, and so all those things kind of drove me to run. Um, yeah. And I was like, OK, now's the time. So, yeah. So I did it. I and, was like, well, you know, and, and I do think that there's a lot to be said for people who run like you. And, and this is something we've seen a lot throughout the years is like people who learn about the issues at the doors. And this is something we I, I hear all the time, uh, oftentimes. I'll, I'll just be honest with female candidates. They're the ones that are listening more at the doors. Uh, and, and that's something that I, I, I see, I see uh, very, very often. Um, and, and, and yeah, you know, I think that, 
You're exactly right. The, the, the volunteers are the backbone of the party, uh, the people who go out and do the door knocking. Uh, you know, yeah. that Allison and I have a, a very soft spot for that since that's us too. We so, do. yeah, so, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's something that we always uh, appreciate. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, but you know, it was a contested process. You know, you, yeah. you got a lot of encouragement sure to run person. and everything. And, and, and yeah. that, that is something that we did want to make sure that we asked about. Uh, you know, yeah. there, there were some hurt feelings afterwards. Every contested primary has hurt feelings afterwards but you know uh the the healing process is has been ongoing and it's been difficult for everybody uh tell us about how what you've learned through that process uh and kind of how you've dealt with that sure you know and one of the questions that you asked was about how do i feel about the the nomination process yeah um it's definitely different than for anybody else who wants to become a candidate in a regular election cycle, you know, and it, it's simple in what it is. Um, you know, it's actually, I had to write it down. I was like, okay, wait, let me see. We, we, you know, if you wanted to apply to be the nominee, you wrote, um, a letter of intent, um, submitted a resume, three letters of recommendation, proof of age and, um, <laughs> residency. <laughs> um, and then it was an in, you know, a, an in-person interview with all the applicants, um, and, you know, so it, it's, it's simple in the sense that we were all applying for a job, but when you sit back and look at it, it's probably not as simple as what it appears to be on paper. But, you know, as far as my perspective on it, you know, I'm not part of the, um, what is it? The state cent- state central executive committee. Yeah. The SCEC. Yeah. But I, so I'll leave that up to the committee, like to determine what the best process is. Cause I have no idea, you know, how to develop a process to find a candidate, a nominee in a special election, you know? Um, but, you know, as far as, you know, as what I learned from it, um, you know, kind of my takeaways, um, you know, one of my biggest regrets, and I'll say this too, like I've taken all social media off my phone and I don't, I don't know the passwords. Um, I get screenshots of things before they get posted to make sure that I approve or if I want to edit something. Um, because I mean, I've, social media can be very toxic. It can be very useful, but can also be very toxic. And so I initially treated everything that was happening as, um, noise, like social media noise. And so I was just ignoring it. I was not going to engage. I didn't, my team wasn't going to engage. These are not, I was not getting into some sort of social media battle, you know, but what I didn't realize, what I failed to notice um, or to understand is that there was, there were members of the community who had concerns and really wanted to know where I stood on specific issues. Um, And so I wish that I had, I mean, that's one of those moments where if if it had been on my phone, I might have seen it. I might've seen it differently if I was reading everything. Um, But I didn't. Um, And so I wish I had put out the statement I put out in September sooner Um, because they did need to know that I absolutely like vehemently oppose SB 150 HB 470 in any bill that makes any marginalized group or tax, it makes any group feel less than like none of that is okay. And um, if anybody's on like one of the things, because I read all the bills, cause I'm a nerd. Um, 
I have these text, a text group um, and access to a lot of people in a lot of school buildings, um, a lot of friends, um, a lot of peers. And so when bills start to move in committee, scary bills like SB 150, um, I send a text out to the people and let them know, hey, this bill is moving. You need to get on the phones. You need to tell your people to get on the phones and start calling the message line. And then they send it out to their people who send it out to their people. And I would like to say that it is many people in Fayette County that helped contribute to the times that we have crashed the message line in, in Frankfurt. But so so I'm, I also sit and watch committee meetings um, at work because I have a desk job and multiple monitors. So I always keep one up. So I'm like the first line of defense for you know, for people. And I'm like, this is happening in the past and now we need to move. Um, so anyway, I, I wish, I wish I had put out the statement sooner just so that the, the people in the community really understood my position, who I am and, and that I am 100% have their backs. Sorry, that was another rambly response. Totally okay. No, we definitely appreciate it. And thank you for clarifying for listeners and everybody, the whole social media. And I think it's really important that you are, you know, very open about that. Yeah. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. So you are running to join a very small but mighty, mighty caucus in yes. the state house. <laughs> it's been exceedingly difficult for Democrats to get anything done in the legislature past several years. I feel like that's no secret. No. So tell us what you hope to be able to accomplish in this position. So I I am 100% committed to advocating for things that impact the daily lives of the people in the 93rd and people across Kentucky daily. Like I, I am a huge believer in that we have to work together to improve the lives of all Kentuckians. I, I swear we used to be a more compassionate state, like where there was kindness and support. It's, that's how I grew up because I, I grew up in Moorhead, you know, and when your neighbor needed help, you helped. Nobody cared what their party was. Nobody cared about why they needed help. You're like, oh, you need some food. Awesome. Because I just grew a bunch, you know, and it was so you were there to help, like to help your neighbors. And I, I feel like in many ways, because of politics, I feel like we've kind of gotten away from that. So my goal. And really, some of my biggest goals, there's no, they're just nonpartisan. They're nonpartisan issues. Elder care. It's hard to be partisan about that. Who doesn't want their mother or father to grow up making sure that they receive all of the care that they need? Like nobody should suffer as they age. Everybody should be able to age with dignity. I'm like, that's, to me, it's a no brainer. We need to do the things that will help Kentuckians age with dignity, you know, and, and not starve, not be left behind. I mean, because they're, again, they're one of our most vulnerable populations. Um, um, and then, um, well, yeah, so, uh, sorry, I was, I was trying to make notes so I can remember everything I want to say, like all the things on my platform. But one of the other things that, I swear it's nonpartisan, um, even though I know we had comments about this from, you know, Republicans, and I think even Senator Stiver said he doesn't, he doesn't get preschool, doesn't understand the importance of it. Um, but universal preschool is huge. Like it's tremendous. One of the biggest, one of the things I hear so frequently from um, the Republican majority is workforce development, workforce development. What's the greatest form of workforce development? Well, that's education. <laughs> and how do we kid, give kids the best education they can have? We give them universal preschool. 
It helps our local mm-hmm. economies. It helps families, like it helps their budgets that are already stretched tight. And it gives kids a leg up on their education. Um, Universal Preschool helps single moms get back into the workforce. Um, my husband and I, when our kids were young, we could not afford five days a week preschool, but we knew the importance of it we, for socialization, for learning basics, for, you know, learning how to turn take and, you know, you know, all the, all the things, how to line up, how to follow directions from somebody that's not your mom. Um, and, um, but our preschool allowed us to pay for what we could, which was three days a week. And we knew the kids would get a benefit from it. I know we're not the only family that struggled to pay for preschool. There are tens of thousands of Kentuckians who cannot afford it. I mean, the cost of daycare alone is could bankrupt a family these days, I swear. But, um, uh, but um, you know, the other, the other part of with preschool is, and if you, if you're a teacher, you live with a teacher, you've been married to a teacher for 25 years, you know, that one of the differences is preschool can mean the difference be, between prevention and intervention. And when we know a child is going to, is struggling in a certain area and we can address it earlier, it, the child will be more, data shows they are more successful in their education. Um, and, you know, as they matriculate, it costs taxpayers less to make sure that we're meeting the needs of the child. I mean, there's just this whole plethora of things. So yeah. universal preschool, not really a partisan issue. We, well, we, we hope it's not, uh, that that's certainly where we're at with it right now. Um, yeah, right, and, right. and, and you're, I mean, you're spot on. That's the issue. I'm probably the most passionate about. We, we talk about that all the time with, with, uh, with the folks in, in, in Louisville that want to yeah. have a, a movement for that. And we, we call it the, the silverest bullet for all of the social problems we face. <laughs> uh, right. you know, there's not, it's not the silver bullet, but it is the silverest bullet we've got. Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, having another advocate for this issue in Frankfurt would be phenomenal. I think I so. just, I I just if somebody can provide me with a logical reason as to why this is partisan or why we shouldn't do this for our kids and literally investing in the future of our state. Yeah, uh, education is the cornerstone of every successful society. We just got to cut the income tax by another three percent, I guess, in order instead of educating our children. So, uh, yeah, I think that you answered the next question we had, which is like, what issues do you want to work on? You are you 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 got that you got that down. Uh, So yeah, very good. Uh, And and uh, but (laughs) but we did want to take some time to talk to you about the specific campaign. Now you've talked about that already a little bit. You you already hit. Yes, absolutely. Go ahead. Because I'm a woman. Allison's a woman. We've got like women all over this, all over the state. One of my other big things, because we touched on abortion and I promise to make this a little bit shorter and I'll focus on my notes so I don't ramble. Um, <laughs> and gun sa- I'll just say gun safety is another one of my biggies. Um, I'm not looking to take anyone's gun. Um, I do believe that we can um, keep our loved ones safe <laughs> while respecting the rights of law abiding citizens. But we've got to make sure that kids can no longer get their hands on guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is that yes. plagues Kentucky. Yeah, we have so oh, yeah. many mental deaths. Yeah, um, it plagues JCPS. Honestly, I yeah. mean, in JCPS, you have kids getting shot at bus stops. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it right. is a huge a problem. problem. Yes, Correct. and no Democrat wants to take guns. I'll know who. No, to hear I do that, not want to. But I we own a gun. I don't. I don't want anybody right. to take my gun. <laughs> but but I don't want right. kids to access guns. And I think there's a, there are ways we can do it. Um, but one of my one of my biggest issues, again, getting back to the healthcare with, I mean, we've got mental health needs we need to address. We've got elder care, but it is every Kentuckian should have access to comprehensive, um, affordable healthcare. 
And that does include the full spectrum of reproductive care, specifically safe and legal abortion. And one of the things that drives me, you know, we, I mean, the U.S. is a first world country. Like we are, we're, we have money, we have means. Kentucky is the, has the second highest rate of maternal mortality in the United States. On average, 37 out of 100,000 women die during childbirth or within 42 days afterwards. And when you look at that number for African-American women, it jumps up to 40.2. Look, I don't even need my notes for this because I know this really well. Um, The national average is 32. I'd have to look for this. It's 32.9 women in 100,000 die during childbirth or shortly thereafter. But since we've seen these draconian, sorry, I'm getting close to the camera and like really, really my point in (laughs) these draconian anti-abortion, anti-woman measures being passed through our legislature and around the country, Kentucky has seen a 40% increase in the number of maternal mortality rate deaths uh, or rates um, since from 20 to 21. And it's up 60% since 2019. Wow. Again, it should be nonpartisan. Nobody wants to see moms die. No, no, that's certainly true. Uh, it's preventable. And, and, and getting, right. another, getting another strong voice for, for, for uh, you know, reproductive health in the legislature that they can't be overstated as being so important. Uh, if we're talking about comprehensive uh, reproductive health care, you know, it's a pipe dream in Kentucky. Something that I really think would be a great thing would be including fertility services. Yes. Uh, it is uh, extremely expensive. It is cost prohibitive. It is crazy uh, having been through that process a couple of times. Yes. How, Actually, I've read ridiculous. your yeah. I've read whenever you've posted about it, and it's yeah. heartbreaking. It's, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's uh, it's it's a lot. That's for sure. Uh, but yes, we did want to ask you about your yes. campaign. You you talk you you talked to us about how many doors you've knocked. Uh, you know, that's something you've already done. Uh, that's something that you you're passionate about. Field is so important for sure. But but you know, this campaign is going on at the same time as the gubernatorial election. So yes. knocking on the door and saying like I'm running for office, and people say, well, you're not Andy Bashir, right? So that's I'm sure uh, something that has happened to you. Um, what's it like running uh, at the same time as the gubernatorial election? Is it is it helping you? Um, and also just oh, kind of how are you breaking yes. through and talking about uh, talking about your race? Uh, during the governor's race. So there are, I mean, the governor's race, I think, is definitely helping me. They have means, you know, it takes a lot of resources that I don't necessarily have. I've done well fundraising. I'm not complaining at all. The support's been incredible. But yeah, you know, I definitely think the governor's race helps. Um, I don't think people are as connected in watching politics quite the way that perhaps the three of us do. So there are a lot of people in the 93rd who know we have a special election but there's probably more that don't know. So when we knock a door, um, like specifically when I do it, and sometimes I forget to tell them that I'm the candidate because I'm so used to knocking for other people. <laughs> um, but um, but we let them know that we're knocking doors in the 93rd. And then we sometimes we have to explain that because they look at me strange. I'm like, I know you used to be either the 79th or the 45th or the 88th, but there was redistricting and now we're the 93rd but we have a special election. And then I explained to them why, you know, it was with the tragic passing of our representative, Lamine Swan in May. And then they're like, oh, and then we have, a, it's such an uncomfortable, like 
it's such a, an awkward, uncomfortable way to open a conversation, but they can't figure out while I'm standing there saying that there's an election. Um, so, uh, but people, I will say reception has been fantastic and we have great conversations, but specifically the governor's race helping mine. I definitely think it does. It is not a bad thing um, for people in the 93rd. I think his race will really, I mean, all of the constitutional offices, but specifically um, Governor Bashir and Lieutenant Governor Coleman, um, I think they will drive more people to the polls. I think people are excited about the race. Um, and so if more numbers turn out for him, I feel like more numbers will turn out for me. Um yeah, I think that that's right, and, and I mean, I think it's a it's a it's a good way to get started. This is I this is very similar to uh, Karen Berg when she got started, <laughs> won in a special election uh, just like yeah. this. Uh, had was during the during a heavy Democratic primary year when which didn't see a Republican primary at the same time. Got into the legislature, got established, and I see a lot of see a lot of parallels there. So yeah. uh, so we'll we'll yeah. see we'll see what happens. We'll see how this goes uh, for, yeah. for you next month. But uh, we're we're both really hopeful for you and, and excited for for what's going to come with you in the legislature, probably, hopefully. Um, but tell us, you know, you are still running really hard. It uh, sounds yes. like you got lots of volunteer opportunities, fundraising opportunities. If people want to link in with your campaign, how can they do that? Um, okay, fundraising, camp a campaign contribution is fantastic. Um, because even though we have 20 days after today before the election, there are still bills to pay. We have, um, and just so people know, like I my original purchase was for 202 yard signs because they come in groups of 101. I had to order another 101. So 303 yard signs, we are down to about the last 24. Um, so we still have time to get in more yard signs, even though they can't vote. Nobody knows who I am. Like I'm a brand new candidate. My opponent does have some name recognition. Um, so contributions would be great. And for anyone who wants to know, it's a maximum contribution of $2,100 per individual per election cycle or per election. So we've got a special, then we'll have a primary um, and then the general. But um, but you can find me and follow me, you know, on Instagram, Facebook, um, my website. Everything's, um, you know, Camille 4KY. Um, the website, you can spell it both ways. C-A-M-A-S-N Mary U-E-L. Uh, for either the number four or spell out for ky.com. And um, for my social media, everything is um, Camille for KY um, spelled out. So it's uh, F-O-R. Um, but if people want to volunteer, we do have a really good time canvassing. And honestly, aside from maybe Josie's doors, these are probably the easiest doors anybody will ever knock. <laughs> I mean, I can confirm. I did them with Lamine last year on Charles's campaign. So easy. Yeah, a blast because I love. I mean, I don't like having uncomfortable conversations at doors because I'm kind of argumentative. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone could tell, but um, I love the 93rd doors. It was so much. Uh, it's easy super democrat yeah. and pretty flat and i was like this is clutch and, and people are used to getting the door knocked too that's a big thing uh people yes. know people know to answer yes. the door they know what to do when somebody's there canvassing them and they know how to listen and have those conversations so yeah, yeah. Very, very oh helpful. absolutely and if people don't want to canvas like if they go to the website click on the menu button click volunteers we have lots of things that people can do like we'll have a job for anybody who wants a job you know to to help um and, and I have to say, like, there have been a few doors because I've knocked them for so same door so many times. Um, and when I knocked the doors and either the husband or wife answered, they both did the same thing. They're like, nope, we support her. And I was like, 
I know, but actually now it's me. I said, That's funny. <laughs> I, said, I was like, well, I'm the one running now because we were redistricted. They're like, what? And I was like, yeah. That's so, um, so it's been great, you know, and I'm getting to the point now in the campaign where um, as I'm walking, it happened, it's ha- it happened three times this weekend. Um, as I was finishing a turf, I didn't even make it to the last door on the turf. And uh, the the woman runs out the door. She goes, it's you. It's you. I saw you park your car and get out and walk across the street. And I thought it was you, but I wasn't sure. But it's you. I was like, it's me. That, that's funny. All right. Well, Adriel Camuel, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for thank answering you. our questions. We really appreciate it. And best of luck to you next month. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at my old KY pod. You can, uh, you know, subscribe to our podcast at the podcasting app of your choice. You can subscribe to our news, our occasional newsletter at uh, tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. We are part of the forward Kentucky network. And uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. And you can we will see you next week.